Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 Welcome everybody to the Keep It Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fancy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who every year seem to be down on David Perron, only for us to prove us wrong. But then last year, Brian finally said, no, I like David Perron. And now we're going to have to once again discuss him and see. I just have a hunch that Brian's going to be down on David Perron, so it'll be really fun. But anyways, this is my intro. What am I doing? I'm your host, Dylan Dubrowski. And with me, as always, for part four, I think the final part of our UFA and trades breakdown from the past couple of weeks, it's the Fantasy Hockey Robot. The Pooba of Prognostication, the IPP MVP, Brightcom. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Good to be back. Yeah, we've got all the stuff that I called in part three, the one that was the, all, all the items that weren't important enough to get on parts one and two or part three. But we still love all of these teams and players. And well, I don't think we love all the players, but we love you for listening. And uh, if you've been waiting breathlessly to hear about the uh, fantasy impact of Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu going to Chicago, this show's for you. You're in the right place. Okay, well... We're talking potentially like top liners, Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu, yeah. right? <laughs> like, they have nobody. So we they're definitely going to be worth discussing. But let's start in Detroit, okay? After we say that we're presented by DauberHockey.com, we really appreciate it. But after that, we're going to go to Detroit where they... Steve Eiserman, busy guy, okay? This guy... He knows how to run a team or at least to do things that make people excited. And, you know, how can anyone be mad at him? You know, people say he reached for cider in the draft. He goes heads and win the, wins the Calder. Lucas Raymond, uh, I, don't, I don't know if he was supposed to be drafted that high. He's been Like, everything that uh, Steve Eisman has done lately has been great. And now he really made a splash in free agency. I guess last year he didn't. You know, he signed uh, Pew Suter. He was kind of boring. I guess whatever. He did his job. He did the job he was supposed to do. But this summer, uh, different story. So the biggest name is they get David Perron from St. Louis. So he's locked in now for three years or two years at $4.75 million. So pretty good deal for a 34-year-old who's coming off a year where he had 57 points in 67 games with so a 70-point pace. Obviously, a big producer on the power play. Uh, David Perron had 26 power play points. I'll run down the other names, but then we can start with Perron here. So they also signed Andrew Kopp, uh, Kubalik, uh, Sherat, and then they also, we've already discussed this, but they traded for and then signed Vili Huso to be the backup, or I guess more like the tandem, maybe even the starter, actually, with Alex Ndelkovic also in the nets. Uh, but back to Perron, I feel like this is an interesting situation because on one hand, you know, St. Louis is a more exciting team than Detroit. They score a lot of goals. But also last year, we talked so much about how St. Louis has so many good forwards. They have like three good lines. So no one is really able to stand out aside from maybe like a Tarasenko. And that was our excuse for why someone like uh, Ryan O'Reilly was having a bit of a down year. And David Perron, yeah, it was a bit of a down year considering the year before he had 58 points in 56 games. Now he falls to like that same 70-ish point pace that he had in his first two seasons in St. Louis. He goes to Detroit where I'd imagine like, if we just imagine that Detroit sticks with that top line, let's say they stick with Bertuzzi, Larkin, Lucas Raymond. So then that leaves Perron to play probably with also recent acquisition Andrew Cobb and maybe Jacob Verana. 
who's a really good player, but also, also like Verona could potentially get pushed out because, yeah, they have Kubalik available. They still have uh, Pew Suter and, and Philip Zadina. So all of a sudden, like Detroit does have a decent number of players to fill out a top nine. It looks like next year could be the year where they start actually winning, uh, you know, a more significant number of games. Uh, I think that the big thing for Perron will be, is he going to get that same amount of power play time? I would think if they like spent this money on him and brought him in, like, why not? Like, why not just roll Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond, and Perron to play with Cider on PP1? But uh, yeah, that, that's my initial thought. Uh, Brian, do you concur with that? And what's your general take on what this does for Perron's fantasy value? It's got, he's got to be on the top power play. That's number one. The reason we've gone, uh, we've changed our tune on Perron the last, Elon, you said just last year, I think it might have been a couple years that I've come around on David Perron. It, and that's because he's changed the way he plays on the power play. Like this guy fires shots like nobody's business with the man advantage. And that's become Perron's bread and butter. It's three most successful seasons in the NHL in terms of power play points have come in his last three seasons, his age 31, 32, and 33 seasons. Like this is similar to how we've talked about Max Pacioretty as a guy in his early to mid 30s, finding a way to reinvent himself to hit new levels of production that he'd never seen before. So I would hope that David Perron is there to be a, a huge cog on that Detroit power play. And I think there's room for him there. So I think it's a good fit that way. At five on five, that's where I worry uh, about how Perron does in Detroit. Because the last few seasons, David Perron has seen the most success playing with Ryan O'Reilly. And Ryan O'Reilly's good. Like, he's a really high-end centerman in the league. Uh, and it looks like his best option in Detroit, I'm assuming Bertuzzi, Larkin, Raymond stays as a line. I know we saw Bertuzzi shuffled off that at some point. I don't know if the, if Perron would be the guy to replace Bertuzzi on the top line if that happens again. But the Red Wings center depth, like the next guy up is Andrew Kopp and then Pew Suter. And I don't think either of those guys are Ryan O'Reilly. And I don't think that's, that's not to denigrate or put down the roster that the Wings have put together here. It's just to say neither of those guys are Ryan O'Reilly. It's not their fault. It's nothing to hold against them. They're just not. And so that's what I wonder about David Perron entering his age 34 season. If he's on a line with, say, Andrew Kopp and Kubalik or Verana or even Tyler Bertuzzi, can that line see the kind of success at five on five that Perron's lines have been seeing at five on five the last few years? The good news is actually that Perron's lines at five on five haven't been that impressive. So even if this line is just average wherever he plays at five on five, you might not notice a huge drop in his production so long as he continues being a strong power play contributor. That's the good news, right? Like he's never been on a super crazy overpowered five on five line for all the time he's been in St. Louis. So, uh, or at least in the second run anyway. So that's the upside for David Perron is that, hey, if he gets that power play deployment and if that line that he lands on at five on five is just serviceable, I think he could still be good for 65, 70 points this year. His role might be a little smaller, but then again, he did lose some of his role last year in St. Louis at five on five as they decided to distribute minutes pretty evenly amongst their top nine. Like he lost a minute and a half of ice time per night and he still put up a 70 point season. So I think Perron can probably do that again uh, or close to it in Detroit. There might be a fewer... Like there might there might be fewer goals to go around in Detroit. That would be the one concern. So I would take the under on 70 rather than the over. But I still see another productive season in David Perron. Again, 
This all completely depends on the top power play unit, but I see no reason why he would be left off that top unit. Yeah, why bring someone in who has such a great power play pedigree to not use him? Which, by the way, is like bad news. Let's say right now, I think this trade or these signings hurt Jacob Vrana, right? Like he's someone who we've been waiting for him to just get that opportunity. Last year was like such a bummer that he missed the start of the year. He came in, was fine, like 19 points in 26 games. But like even back when he was on Washington, like the question was, imagine how many points this guy would get if he ever got a shot on the top power play but he's kind of like a nick ehlers a nick ehlers light i guess in that like i just don't this year especially like i just don't see a chance and uh, like barring injury of course like uh, we, they've got the four spots i think locked up right now for the forwards and verona is on the outside looking in so i think this is bad news for his fantasy value and yeah Perona, i could see him being like a 65 70 point guy maybe probably someone that's going to fall in drafts just because people are going to be like he's older he's on yeah. detroit and i think he might be a good value pick like depending on how far he falls. Then we look to someone like an Andrew Kopp, who was like for so long, not a person we talked about on Keeping Carlson, right? Not a fantasy relevant player. Like his career high was 28 points before the the COVID shortened season where he had a nice breakout for Winnipeg, right? He got into the top six and he ended up with 39 points in 55 games. It's a 58 point pace. Then last year, he was doing similarly, maybe a little bit worse until he ended up getting traded to the Rangers where he exploded, right? He had 18 points in 16 games. Andrew Kopp was an above point per game player once he got to the Big Apple. And it makes sense. He was playing with Panarin. He was playing on a line with Panarin and Strom. So he was playing with good players and he was producing with them. Now he goes to this Detroit team where if we play it out that I think he's the second line center. I think that he's ahead of Pew Suter. Uh, you know, like what, what's this contract that they've locked him in on? We've got like five years at 5.625. So that's not for a third line center. Come on. So I think he's on the second line playing, I guess, with Perron and Verona, which are pretty, you know, it's not Panarin, but Perron and Verona are two good players. So is I'm, I'm not expecting like point per game, but do you think Cop can keep up like the 60-ish point pace that he's put up over these past two seasons? Or do you expect like a sharp downgrade? I guess the one big thing is that that power, there's no, if we were like worried about Verona getting on top power play, I really think there's no chance that Cop gets there. So he's going to have to do it from even strength and then secondary power play points. I think we also just need to clarify off the top, like Andrew Cop has played a lot of wing the last couple seasons, right? Like he was playing, I think he was playing more of a center role when he was a third liner. Ever oh, since true, he, yeah. he's entered the top six, uh, like in New York, he played with Panarin centered by Strom. In Winnipeg, he's playing with Ehlers centered by Shifley. So, but I agree with you, Elon, that I think he is the center kind of by default in Detroit on that second line because the next best option is Pew Suter, who I don't think is uh, like is a best case scenario top six center, nor do I think I'm looking down the depth chart. I see Michael Rasmussen and Oscar Sundquist as the other center options. I Robbie Fabry has been known to play some center, but I don't think he's going to play center either. Well, Uh, Fabry's injured also, unfortunately. So they're starting the season without him. Yeah. Which is great, by the way, I'll save like, at least an ad a week with Fabry injured through the season. Actually, a lot of these Detroit acquisitions mean that I can move Fabry down my watch list and not be uh, so constantly. He was one of my most added players in my leagues last year. But getting back to Andrew Kopp. <laughs> kind of rude, right? Eh? You're like, I'm so happy that Fabry's injured. <laughs> I'm sure Fabry's family and he's <laughs> no, no, just like, I, not nice. I don't. <laughs> I get what okay, you're saying. <laughs> okay. No, I, I meant more by the acquisitions. I clarified. Okay. Uh, in any case, Andrew Kopp has succeeded as a winger. 
I'm curious to see in the top six. I'm curious to, to see how he fares as a top six centerman. We haven't really seen him in this role yet. If it's the one he ends up playing, uh, he's had a couple career seasons recently, 60 point paces the last two seasons. Uh, two years ago in, um, in the bubble, he had 12 power play points from the second unit in 55 games. That's near top power play production from the second unit. So he overperformed there. And that's why he had such a successful season. Maybe without that, more of like a 50-point pace for cop. And then last season, it's almost like the Evander Kane effect, I think, is going to be large in people's minds for Andrew Cop. He came to New York. And like you said, Elon, he exploded. He scored eight times on 32 shots in 16 games. And a lot of those happened in quick succession, too. So that's a 25% shooting percentage, which is double anything he's ever shot before. So that's another reason why Andrew Kopp, you know, ended up with 60-point pace, but probably wouldn't have been there uh, had he played another 50 games with the Rangers. That said, this is a brand new situation for him in Detroit. We've seen him be someone who can when things break for him and he can be around when things break like being lucky i think there is some you got to be good to be lucky so i'm not taking any of that away from him and i think 60 points is about as high as we could hope for him i think i'd be looking at him more as a like 55 point player this season he has a couple good wingers with him which is nice like if he has peron and then one of rana or kubalik that's great except I'm not sure the defensive acumen of either of those guys. So he's going to have to do a lot of the heavy lifting on that second line defensively and hopefully be still get in on goals that are, you know, scored. But like I said, David Perron, not a fantastic five-on-five player the last few years. Jacob Vrana, Dominic Kubalik, also not fantastic five-on-five players. So Andrew Cobb is not someone who's going to be very high on my draft list. I think he might really fit a, a need for Detroit, where they've signed him, and as they populate the team and and find chemistry and make lines, I'm curious to see where he falls at the end of the day. But he's not someone that I am going to be looking at in my drafts the same way I looked at Andrew Kopp in a New York Rangers uniform, which is to say, even if he stayed in a Rangers uniform, I still wouldn't be looking at him uh, in the same lovely light as he showed up while he was shooting 25% as a Ranger. Yeah, definitely makes sense. By the way, just to clarify something, you said Verana isn't a great 5v5 player. I thought that was like his bread and butter. Sorry, you're right. That just came out of my mouth. I'm glad you called me on it. It's it's the power play where he hasn't gotten the deployment, right? His 5-on-5 scoring has been the only reason. Like He's been a 60-point player the last two years with almost no power play points to go along with them. So yes, Jacob Verana, very good 5-on-5 player who've been screaming for more 5-on-5 minutes and power play deployment. So thank you for checking me on that. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know, so that could maybe be good for Cop playing with Verana. So we'll have to see how it all shakes out. Cop is someone, yeah, it's, just, it's really hard. I don't know. I, I know he's already like established himself for two years, though like you said, Brian, like with a high shooting percentage for a bit of it. Uh, like, I think I need one more year now on this new team <laughs> to really like start believing in him. And so I probably won't draft him and someone else will. And then we'll find out if he ends up at free agency where I get a chance to grab him or if just like I regret not being higher on him. But uh, for all the reasons you said, I feel like, yeah, I'd rather not take a big swing on Andrew Kopp repeating and being a 60 point guy. Uh, but then outside of those two, uh, Kopp and Peron coming to their new team, yeah, Dominic Kubalik 
it's a it's a bummer what happened to him, right? Like he had this like amazing rookie season, thirty goals and forty six points in sixty eight games, and then the next year he was like okay, like seventeen goals, thirty eight points in fifty six games. Uh, so that's like around fifty fifty five point pace. And then last year in Chicago just really fell off, like only fifteen goals and thirty two points in seventy eight games. So well below a uh, half point per game player. Uh, so now he gets a fresh start. You know, in Detroit's given like Fabry a fresh start, and it worked out pretty well for him. And now Kubali comes in two years 2.5 mils so not nothing but obviously not like the money you pay to someone you like need to put in your top six for example like a cop or a Perron. so i just wonder if like there's root like at this point it's not a fabry situation where he was coming into a team that needed to fill top six spots now i feel like kubalik is maybe gonna have to stick with that same bottom six role he had in chicago and be a complimentary guy and yeah, I just don't see an opportunity for him to get back to what he did in his rookie year, barring injury. So yeah, I'm. That, I think a good signing for Detroit to take a chance on him. But yeah, I think he's lost his luster for fantasy at this point. I'll say the same thing. I think he's. I, you know who's always been high on Kubalik Dauber, and so like for me, that's enough to keep giving Kubalik a bit of a chance. Like when he was popping off with Taves. I was like, yeah, I told you. I told you he could do this. And I believe it, too. Like, the, it seems like the raw skill is there, but the whole game is not. And, I like, he's going to need a super steady centerman like... I mean, Pew Suter is pretty steady, so that's nice. And Andrew Kopp, hopefully, if he plays center the way I imagine he plays center, uh, will be pretty steady, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not that much more excited about Kubalik with Detroit than I was with Chicago last year. I think last year was a really bad season for him, and I think he can do better. Like, this is a guy who had two seasons of being a 55-point player, followed up by a 33-point season. So we owe him a bit of the benefit of the doubt here. But as somebody who could reach that 55-point level again rather than, like, surpass it and break out in his age, 26, uh, age 27 season. Okay, so next up, Brian, let's go to the New York Rangers, who lost a couple key pieces, including Andrew Kopp, who we just brought up. He was a part of their playoff run for sure, as was Frank Vetrano, who they've lost. And they've lost Ryan Strom, who's been centering Artemi Panarin ever since Panarin came into the picture. So you'd think... That's not great, but at least they have one big signing, though, to hopefully make up for all these losses, and that's Vincent Trocek, who they brought in for uh, max length seven years at 5.625 mil contract. So they're locking in Vincent Trocek. He's 29 years old, so that's one of those contracts that's maybe not going to age amazingly well, but we'll see if it helps the Rangers in the short term because obviously the Rangers like just went on a nice run and Shostyorkin is is there you know doing as amazingly as he is and like I feel like they feel like they just need to go for it now while they have the opportunity and so yeah now we have to discuss like Vincent Trocek again like he's a guy who had that huge season in Carolina like a couple seasons ago in 2020-21 he was amazing he had 43 points in 47 games then he kind of fell off last year down to only 51 points in 81 games overall so on one hand I'd be like uh, I don't know about this guy but on the other hand and he's like he's done this a lot of times in his career right like remember that amazing breakout in florida where he blew all of our socks off and people were like talking about him as like a top 20 fantasy guy because of all of his peripherals and then he like totally fell off after that it seems to have happened again and now he gets a new opportunity on a new team and the nice thing is the one thing i know about the rangers is that zavanichad plays with Kreider and panarin plays with strome but there's no more strome which means panarin probably plays with vincent trocek and that equals 
good, right? Like, I think that's very good for Vincent Trocek if he's going to be locked in with Panarin. Or, like, worst case, what if they decide, well, let's finally try Panarin with Sabanajet. So, fine, then Trocek plays with Chris Kreider, who just scored 50 goals. So, I think he's not going to be wanting for good line mates. I'd imagine they've got a top power play spot for him. Like I said, three players have left. So, unless, like, Lafreniere and Kako both, like, really knock down the door and take that top power play spot that we, that we assume that they have at this point in their careers, to be fair. But at this point, I feel like it's a really sweet landing spot for Vincent Trocek. And so it's hard for me to not want to be excited. So I'm ready for you to take out the wet blanket if you want. But I don't know if we're going all the way back up to like the 75 point, like, you know, breakout guy. But like, I think a solid like 65 points with like a lot of shots and all the stuff that we love about him. I think it's definitely in the cards and, and maybe higher just because he's playing with Panarin and Panarin we know could be like an 100 point player and, and bring like a Ryan Strom who was kind of a nothing up to being a really significant fantasy presence himself. Yeah, so yes, I like that Trocek, great start to Trocek, right? Like you can hear my certainty around Vincent Trocek. I've always had trouble forming a take around, but I guess the the big pro for Trocek here is if he is playing with Panarin, this is one of the best situations he's ever been in. Um, you said that, you know, he's, he's broken out a few, uh, like a bunch of, I think he said a bunch of times. And I just want to clarify just twice Trocek has broken out. And the reason for that both times has been top power play deployment. All right. Like that's, that's basically, that's all it boils down to. Trocek is a 50 point player on the second unit, 75 point player on the top unit. And there's like no in between wait, either. But wait, Brian, like what? last season, he was on the top ah, power play. Oh, you were ah. going to get there. Okay, sorry. I got ahead of you. <laughs> yeah. So that's the thing. We thought we knew who Trocek was. And then last year, we had our whole preseason debate about Trocek versus NHS on the top power play unit. I won. I was right. It was Trocek. And that's why I was saying, yeah, we could see another 70 points from Trocek, except he produced like someone on the second unit while playing on the top unit was just 12 power play points. Like his other big seasons, 27 power play points in 82 games, 18 power play points in 47 games, huge production. That's where he got 75 points. The rest power play to production, even though he was on the top power play unit in Carolina. So I love that his five on five situation is better than ever. All right. He's never played with a Panarin. He's always been on a line too. I'm looking at his line mates from the past several years. Natchez, Niederreiter, Connolly, Achari. Uh, one year he played a bunch with Hoffman and Huberdeau. That was nice. Uh, and he played a bunch with Huberdeau as well as McGinn and Malgin. Like this is a guy who if he ever got some time with Huberdeau, that was great. But it was never something he could count on. So playing with Panarin for a full season, that's enough for me to say, okay, yeah, I'll start him at 55 points. My curiosity is where on the Rangers power play he slots in because it looks like there's space. Right. Okay. You've got Adam Fox quarterbacking. You've got Panarin and Zabanajad and Kreider locked in. So the last piece, I guess it's between Lafreniere and Trocek. Right. And here's why I'm worried it won't be Trocek is because Trocek has made his power play living playing net front. Well, guess what? Chris freaking Kreider plays net friend in New York, and there's no changing that at this point after, what, his 29 power play goals and 52 goals total last season for the Rangers. So I wonder, is Trotek given a new power play role to play on the top unit, or does he play that role on the second unit and somebody else comes in to play the spot that's open uh, on the Rangers' top units. That would be my concern for Trocek. But I think the five-on-five situation is good enough that you should be interested 
introject. And even if he just puts up second power play production, which he's reliably done even from the second unit, like he's never really had a bad season on the power play, give it like uh, compared to his deployment, except for this most recent one. But through add on another 10 to 12 power play points from the second unit, and you've got a 65 point player approaching 70. So I like Vincent Trocek, and I think there could be some value to be found here in your drafts. I think a lot of people are tired of him not delivering because he's been so up and down. And every time you want to rely on him, it seems like he hasn't been there. But I'm looking forward to see what Trocek can do with the Rangers. I'm also curious to see if he can start shooting more again. Like his very first breakout season, he was taking three and a half shots per game. Then he took three shots per game. Then he took two and a half shots a game for a couple seasons last year. Just two shots per game with Carolina. That might be a function of him playing on a line with Andrei Svechnikov, who was maybe supposed to be the one taking most of the shots at five on five. So I'd like to see if Trocek can start shooting a bit more. And that would obviously help him along with playing with Panarin. Yeah, I guess that's a really good point. We don't know if he'll get that top power play. And I guess it's going to be the kind of thing where you're hoping your drafts are happening after we've had some time through training camp to see if we learn anything, right? Because like you say, there's a, a big difference between if he's there or if Lafreniere gets that job. And yeah, it'll be interesting. Like once again, the rate, by the way, going into last season, we were like, this is probably the year there's two top six spots available for Lafreniere and Kako to like finally take those spots and then produce. And then last year they didn't produce. And eventually the Rangers brought in Vetrano and Cop at the trade desk. Line. And now this year we're doing it again, right? Vetrano and Cop are gone. So it's the same song and dance. The question is like, do we expect the same results or is it actually time for these, like the number one and number two pick from a few drafts ago? Are they going to actually produce like their high draft pedigree and make the Rangers have this like stack top six and for these guys to like make it difficult for someone like a Trocek to earn a top a top power play spot so that's a storyline that I don't think we have the answer to yet and we just have to wait and see I don't know Brian do you have any thoughts on like Lafreniere or, or Kako or is it just the kind of thing where we have to see how they look next year and see if they've developed into the players we hope they would be I'm going to wait and see. I'm I'm a little more optimistic about Lafreniere than Kako and I don't think I'm uh, alone in that respect And I think Lafreniere could get a chance to be in like a really highlight, like spotlight kind of role this season. This could be the year. It's his age 20 season. He's a couple years under his belt now. And he seemed to be starting to find his form towards the end of last season as part of that kid line, which is kind of broken up a bit with the acquisition of Trocek. I'm curious to see how that affects uh, Hedl as well, who, you know, doesn't really benefit from this situation, assuming he stays yeah, definitely not. as like third line center, because it looks like he was on the rise along with Lafreniere. And now I think Lafreniere has a really good chance to stick in the top six while Hedl's going to have a hard time getting in there. Of course, Kako's still in the mix and still in the top six himself. But yeah, I would... Uh, I've seen more recently from Lafreniere to think that he's ready to take the next step than I have Kako. Yeah, but even like Lafreniere, like showing us that he's a little better is still like basically half point per game, right? Like we're still wait- like it was just like better than what he was doing before, which was much less than that. But seemed to be uh, rounding into form on the whole. Like, yeah, the production wasn't quite there, but the games seemed to finally be coming together. Okay, yeah, he's only 20 years old, right? So obviously you don't want to give up on someone like that. So it'll be that'll be interesting to see. The Rangers are going to be a fun team. By the way, for those uh, curious, the uh, New York Rangers version of Brian Elliott, basically a backup goalie that is going to be completely fantasy irrelevant aside from like the 10, 15 games they play is Yaroslav Halak. That's who the Rangers ended up signing to be their backup to Shostyorkin. So that's a name that you'll barely hear because I'm sure Shostyorkin will play almost all the games. Uh, so Brian, where should we go next here? How about while we try to decide... 
we take a little break, okay? This has been fun, and we still... I know where we're going to go. We're going to go to Dallas next, okay? We're going to talk about Mason Marchman. So you could cue him up, listeners. Remind yourself about that really exciting breakout that Marchman had last year on Florida, and we'll talk about him and more in just a sec. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. All right, we are back, and Brian, yeah, next up, I want to go to Dallas, who hasn't done too much in this offseason, uh, but the one big move they did make is signing UFA Mason Marchman to a four-year, $18 million contract. So that's a really huge contract for a player who I think like like he's the, maybe the player that earned the most money from just last season. Like he's a guy who like going into the year, I don't think anyone was expecting that Marchment was going to end up landing an over 4 million per year contract by the end of it. But that's what happens when you put up 47 points in 54 games, like he did with the Panthers. It's a 71 point pace. And while, you know, we were talking about like a Mackenzie Weger and like really benefiting from playing with all these good players. Like you look at Mason Marchment, he actually didn't play that much of the season with like your Barkovs and your Huberdos. Like, like his most common line mates were, I guess, Sam Reinhardt, who's very good, right? So that's the thing. It's like Florida's so stacked. But he was mainly a third line player playing with like Reinhardt and like a Landell for most of it. So yeah, a strong a third line. But still, you know, to put up 71 point pace on essentially the third line on a team and not that much power play time, he wasn't even seeing second power play for a lot of the season. Yeah, it was just an amazing year. And now he goes to Dallas, where I think once again, it's hard to imagine him getting on the top power play. Like, I think that's pretty locked in with, you know, their their hints, Robertson and Pavelski, and probably like a Tyler Sagan as the forwards on the top power play. Miro Haskinen, who we've learned from Saad Yusuf, is the player most in line to have a huge breakout next year. But I guess we don't need to dive into him again. Uh, but yeah, I think Marchman's going to be on the second power play and maybe the second line. Like, I feel like they had a lot of like Ben Sagan and Gurianov. So I guess we have to see if Marchman bumps one of them and gets to be a second line player or maybe he's just a really solid third liner like he was in Florida so it's I'm not going to be the one to say that I think Mason Marchment is going to hit 70 points or 70 point pace again seems like it would be unlikely but I didn't think he would do it last year and he kept on producing so Brian what do you think is there any fantasy value here is he someone you would draft and expect something from or do you think he just had that one amazing year and now he'll just be more of like a, a depth piece on the stars I don't think last year was a fluke for Mason Marchman. Like, this is a guy who had never really been given a whole lot of opportunity to date. A lot of people forget that, like, he started his career as a with Toronto, right? He, he played a lot of time with their AHL affiliate, the Marlies. Didn't even do much there. Like, was a half-point-per-game player uh, for most of the time. And then he had a great 2019-20, 18 points in 24 games in the AHL with 13 goals. That's big. Uh, before the Leafs said so long see you later and flipped into the florida organization where he uh thrived last season he didn't have much of a chance in 2021 either uh so 21 22 was really mason marchmond uh at 27 years old he's 27 now so in his age 26 season mason marchmond really got his first chance to show his stuff at the nhl level and yeah he never has been the biggest scorer like even going back to the ohl where oddly enough he played for three different teams over three seasons and in the ohl elon i was listening to your discussion with uh with scouting about shane wright and his 94 point season or whatever like that's isn't that good it's like no ohl you want to see like 100 point seasons as a way to say oh yeah this guy has a chance to be a really great nhler by the way if you haven't listened to Elon's draft recap show with scouting, highly recommended. It was a, I feel much smarter after listening to it. I know, I know a lot more about these guys. But going back to Mason Marchman, uh, if if you're a fan of charts and following charts online, there have been lots to show that Mason Marchman 
seems really actually good. Even though he was undrafted, even though he's had to scrap for everything he's had uh, in, in terms of his NHL career, this guy looks good. And I'm going to quantify it here by saying uh, last season at five on five, Mason Marchment ranked third in the NHL. Yes, third in the league in points per 60 minutes. All oh. right. So first was Johnny Gaudreau. Second was Mitch Marner. Wait, are you talking all strengths or just even strength? Just even strength. Because Mason Marchman okay. didn't play much on the power play. Well, I know, right? that, well, that wouldn't yeah, be fair. So I wanted to clarify. So Gaudreau, Marner, Oh my Marchment. gosh, did you hear this crazy thunder I d- outside? I did hear that. Are you to okay? To the listeners, uh, I'm like going to keep podcasting, even though it is crazy out there right now in Toronto. But wow. Brian, please continue. So Mason Marchman, one of the best even strength yeah. point producers. Ahead of Austin Matthews and Tarasenko and Kachuk and Kaprizov and everyone else in the NHL, except Marner and Gaudreau. So th- there is... Listen, there's something to that, all right? And, th- and this guy only saw 13 minutes of ice time a night. And you can say, well, anyone can produce well in 13 minutes a night. Well, Vladimir Tarasenko also had 13 minutes a night, lower points per 60. Steven Stamkos also played 13 minutes a night, lower points per 60. So this is a real opportunity for Mason Marchment to get legit top six deployment. We know Dallas is going to lean on their top line. Although in your interview with Saad Youssef on 32 Beats, he was throwing out some like wild configurations, like splitting up Robertson and Hints, I think, was was one of the ideas shared. Jacob Peterson could enter the top six somehow. Uh, but one player that I think this could work out really well for is Tyler Sagan. Like, I think having Mason Marchment in that top six, assuming that's where he lands, I can't see how he wouldn't. Uh, I think that could be really good for Tyler Sagan, who would have like a really potentially really great line mate for the first time in a while. I'm really excited to see if they click. I'm open to them totally busting because, hey, that's what I'm trained to do, watching anyone on Dallas try to produce except Robertson, Hintz, and Pavelski. But I am very intrigued by what Marchment and Sagan could offer. And I'm thinking Marchment is like a late draft flyer this year for me. If I can get him late enough, I I think I can. But last year, you know, when I was taking... I don't know, a guy like Kyle Palmieri or Michael Bunting or Jesse Pugliarvi. That's where I'm looking to take Mason Marchment this year. That makes sense. And a couple of those guys didn't really pan out and one of them really did, right? So I guess that's what you're hoping for. But with Marchment, yeah, that definitely, like they're giving him this contract hopefully to not just bury him in the bottom six. And yeah, I like the idea of what you're saying that maybe he and Sagan can click and maybe also help Sagan kind of get back on track to being that star player that he wants. So I guess like he won't get back to that high, high level. Like Sadius have said, that's almost an impossibility mainly because that he's not just not going to be given that role. Like he's not like a top line guy on the team anymore. So he's not going to get like 80 plus points. Uh, but yeah, that'll be fun. And uh, Dallas should be an interesting team next year. I'm really excited to see also Jake Ottinger had that big, you know, welcome to the party in, in the playoffs. And I'm really excited now to see if he's going to be a awesome, like volume goalie that gets a lot of wins and like puts up amazing numbers and like, you know, jumps up. I, I'm nervous about uh, Schmore goalies board because I feel like I want to put Ottinger like super high. Like I want to put him in the same tier as like Connor Hellebuck. And I, you know, but I don't want to also to make a risk of like valuing a goalie that hasn't really shown us the sample size. But anyway, we could go on with about Dallas for a while, but let's move on to the Anaheim Ducks. Okay. So we talked about a couple Rangers that left in Ryan Strom and Frank Vetrano. And both of them are now in Anaheim. So that's pretty much it in terms of Anaheim's off season. Aside from uh, you know, drafting Pavel Minchukov, like another high-end defenseman that people are excited for. But yeah, I guess like we look at their depth chart 
And with Ryan Getzlaff retiring, obviously the Ducks needed to bring in a center. And they did that with Ryan Strom. So now we look at the lines. Like, let's assume that like Zegras and Troy Terry stay together. Uh, and you could put, I don't know, like a Comptoir or Adam Henrique or something with them, Silverberg. Maybe like we have Ryan Stroman and Frank Vetrano playing together. When Vetrano was on the Rangers, he was playing on the Zabanajad Kreider line for the majority of the time. Uh, but yeah, I wonder now, like I, it just seems like looking at this Anaheim team, at least in the short term, like obviously we've got a lot of young, exciting forwards that could like break into that top six really soon, like Mason McTavish among them, right? Like maybe he like bumps someone. He's a center, I believe. Like maybe he could even bump Ryan Strom. So I do wonder, because also I have always wondered if Ryan Strom is actually like a really good player, just benefited from playing with Panarin. Uh, but now, you know, Anaheim's given him five years at $5 million per year, which you would think wouldn't make him a bottom sixer. So I don't really know what the plan is here. With I guess Ryan Strom could also play on the wing, potentially. I don't know. Brian, am I too low on Ryan Strom? I kind of just feel like he's not someone that I'm expecting a lot from. But also, he has a good contract, and he seems to be in line to be a second-line center. So I don't know. Tell me what you think about him, and then also throw in a, a Frank Vetrano <laughs> analysis as well. Well, being a second-line center isn't worth a whole lot if you are playing with Max Comtois, who, sure, yeah, could break out like everyone hoped he would for the last two years. It still could happen. That wasn't meant to sound cheeky or as glib as I, th- I think it came off. Like, yeah, it's still possible. But hey, I'm not I'm not holding my breath on Comtois. And like, yeah, who else is Ryan Strom going to get to play with if Troy Terry and I'm even going to say if Adam Henrique stays on Zgrass's line, right? Like even if Ryan Strom gets to play with Adam Henrique, I'm not pumped for that. Basically, Ryan Strom needs Troy Terry on his line for me to be interested in Ryan Strom. And that's possible. That could happen. But really, that is the only way I'm interested in Ryan Strom. I'm actually kind of disappointed. Like the Ducks are on a trajectory to be competitive somewhat soon. And I don't like any of the deal. I, I I don't like the Strom acquisition. I don't like the Vetrano acquisition. Like, I guess they need... Vetrano's decent. Like, he could be a nice supporting middle six player. But Strom, I just don't get because, Elon, I'm with you. I haven't seen anything to suggest to me that Ryan Strom is really good in his own respect and can be the reason a line succeeds. I think he needs to play with a really good winger and he knows how to compliment that player. But to be that guy, it's not his, it hasn't been his jam so far in his career. And he's had a lot of opportunities to demonstrate otherwise. So that's why I'm not high on Strom here. Vitrano, I've always been a mix of high and low on him, like always just been good for getting some shots. And in New York, he and Andrew Kopp were just popping off. That was great, but it wasn't sustainable there either. And so that's why I'm not that high in Vetrano here. And Vetrano is also somebody who generally succeeds when he's playing with other people who elevate his game. And I really just don't see anyone on this Ducks roster that's ready to do that. So that is why I'm... uh, I'm not going to draft Reinstrom. I'm actually curious to see if Reinstrom gets drafted in leagues. Like, what round do you think Reinstrom goes in? Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, like, I think he gets taken. Like, maybe he'll be on the top power play. You know, I, but like, yeah, in, like, I think the it would third be quarter of the draft, like, I, like the final, you know, 50 to the 50th to 75% draft completion mark. Who do you take first, Reinstrom or Mason Marchmont? I would take Marchman first. Yeah, I really, but too. that's because I'm not going to take Ryan Strom. Like Ryan Strom okay. is just not <laughs> on my draft list, so it's not. Uh, but I, yeah, if they're both staring at me and they both seem like the best options available, I'm taking Marchman. 
By the way, uh, Sonny Milano, who we talked about a lot on the podcast last year, he was clicking with Zegris, uh, not signed. He's a UFA still. I wonder if Anaheim will bring him back. or if I they think they chose to not to qualify him, but I don't know if that was like, don't come back or we just don't want you at the price that we have to offer. Right. So now they can get him for any amount that he'll agree to. <laughs> I so. guess. Yeah. That's the only way they could lock him in. And they Poor chose Sonny Milano. What do, you, what do you have to do? He had 34 points in 66 games. He was playing 15 minutes a night. It's not bad. But okay. Yeah, Sham said the same thing here in the chat. Anyway, okay. Let's move on to the next team here. I guess we're, we're getting to the less impactful things. But let's go to Vancouver quickly. Uh, so I guess the main thing they did this offseason was extend Brock Besser for three years. Uh, so that's good. They've got him. And hopefully Brock Besser will bounce back. You know, in my interview about him with Harmon Dial, we were talking about how Besser, you know, had a, a lot of like off ice issues like with his dad and stuff that like, you know, health issues. Uh, so that was keeping him maybe like uh, not able to have the best season. And he's expecting a big bounce back from Besser. So that's someone to watch. Uh, but yeah, aside from that, I guess the news has always been about JT Miller and whether they're going to keep him, extend him or trade him. Like, what are they going to do? But there's no news on that front. So really, we just have one major signing and that's Ilya Mikheyev who they got from the Leafs as a UFA so now Mikheyev is signed for a four-year 19 million dollar contract and he's someone who I'm curious to get your take on because he was like so like when you look at his final numbers with Toronto like not so bad right 32 points in 53 games it's a 50 point pace I guess not like high enough to be someone that you we generally talk about on the podcast but there were stretches where we were talking about him that was mainly because you know he would be getting a run on the Nylander line or with uh, you know like or Tavares line like so I just feel like it was more like the situation he was in that would lead him to getting good points but now I wonder is he like a good player and someone that we can expect to continue to be successful in Vancouver because I look at their top six seems to me like maybe there's not room for him right like I like Pedersen with I don't know Miller and Connor Garland, let's say, I don't know. And then, then Horvat with Brock Besser and I don't know, Tanner Pearson's been playing with Horvat this whole time for the most part. And so like, do you think Mikhaev has come in to like bump Tanner Pearson and take that spot? They also have Niels Hoaglander who we thought could maybe be a top six guy. So I don't know. Like, I guess like, yeah, I'm talking myself into it right now. Like, I think that maybe Mikhaev's just brought in to be like a solid third line player and not someone we're going to have to care about in fantasy. But I'm curious to know if you disagree. They also, by the way, brought in this guy, Andre Kuzmenko. I should probably just mention him quickly. Coming in from the KHL, where he had 53 points in 45 games last year with Scott St. Petersburg. So I don't know. He's like the new uh, Vladimir Tkachev, who we thought would do something last year after coming from the KHL and being something special, and then he didn't do anything. But who knows? Maybe he's the next... uh I mean, I'm not going to say the next Kaprizov, maybe something in the middle, like someone coming from the KHL and actually being as good or similar. Maybe the next Dodonov. Is that, would that be something that maybe he could do? I don't know. So he's a wild card in Kuzmenko. So Brian, mainly though, my question is about Mikhaev, and is he someone you should care about? If you want to throw in a take on Kuzmenko, go ahead. Okay. Uh, the answer will be short. I don't think Mikhaev is really fantasy relevant this year. Like, yeah, there's a chance maybe Tanner Pearson is pushed out of the top six, but otherwise there's really not a lot of sunshine for Mikhaev, who we knew could be counted on for occasional turns in the top six. Like last season, Mikhaev was, you know, fringe rosterable or top of the FA pile for most of the season. 
until you saw he was playing in the top six. And when he wasn't in the top six, he had actually some really nice runs from the third line, but none in a sustainable way and none that I expect to even, like, I don't think the third line in Vancouver is going to support quite as many uh, nice little surprises as the third line in Toronto did for Mikhaev. So yeah, I'm not into his fantasy value. And Kuzmenko, I'm curious on, he was like a really pleasant surprise for Vancouver and their fans it's not the kind of uh, free agent bidding war that Vancouver often wins. So I'm curious to see what Kuzmenko uh, was promised to come to Vancouver, what kind of opportunity they'll give him. I'll be watching. And Elon, one you know, interesting thing is a name that's really fallen down the list here is Niels Hoaglander, who we'd been talking about as you know someone in fantasy who like might have been on the come up as a rookie a couple years back, but he's really, really settled into uh, fantasy obscurity lately. And I'm not sure there's a lot of opportunity for him to push forward, especially with the addition of guys like Mikhaev and Kuzmenko. Yeah. And also they have Pod Colson, by the way, who had his rookie year last year, underwhelming offensively, just like Harmon Dial expected him to be. But like, who knows? You know, he's another person for Hoaglander to compete with. So yeah, I agree with you that Hoaglander, totally off the radar. Like, I think he was getting drafted in some leagues last year, but I don't think anyone's going to be drafting him this year for one year leagues. Uh, next up, okay, you brought up uh, Chicago and their signings. I guess let's dive into them next. So we know about the losses. Debrinkit is gone, Kirby Doc is gone everyone's gone basically like this team has taves and kane taves and kane are still there and now they've brought in some oh yeah so kubalik is gone by the way as another person but yeah they've brought in yeah max domi someone who like at one point we were talking about max domi on the podcast it's like a really exciting up-and-coming prospect that was that was like a yeah that was a long time ago like the way you say it makes it sound recent i mean it's good to go back but it was not a recent point that we were talking about max domi that way yeah, I guess that was also the time we were talking about Alex Galchenyuk in that way, since they were traded for each other. So, uh, yeah, back in his first season with Montreal, after he got traded for Galchenyuk, Domi had 72 points in 82 games. That was four seasons ago. Since then, he had, you know, he fell off a bit, 44 points, 71 games the next year. Then he went to Columbus and did nothing, basically, for the next couple se- the next couple seasons, then ended up getting traded to Carolina. And last year, yeah, was not an impact guy on the Canes. But now he comes into a situation in Chicago where... It's like between him and Jonathan Taves for the top line center. Like, am I missing someone or is Max Domi potentially going to get a lot of opportunity? Maybe like top power play. Like here's the players on this team. Like, honestly, like Kane and Taves. Now they have Max Domi and Andreas Athanasiu. They have this guy they drafted, Lucas Reichel, with a high pick. So maybe he can finally make the team and do something. So I've named five forwards. I feel like that's it. Then they have like, you know, Tyler Johnson, if he's healthy. And even if he is, like we saw last year, he wasn't able to live up to it. Like they signed Colin Blackwell. Taylor Radish had that little run last year uh, when he got in the top six. Philip Kurashev. This is the team. Like Jujar Kyra. Like, so I, all that to say, like Patrick Kane is good. You said when I asked you what's the implication for Kane when he loses to Brinkett and you were like, don't expect him to fall off too, too far. Like you thought he'd still be able to be worthwhile to draft and expect like maybe point per game. Like, so he's got to do it with someone. Is that person Max Domi? <laughs> I, I don't know. I really don't know. It's, it's like looking down the depth chart on cap friendly for Chicago. It seems like 10 of their 12, like top 12 forwards can play center. So I I think this is a very influx situation. Max Domi, we know has been there, but I just don't see, he hasn't succeeded 
anywhere really for a really long time and there was a there was a moment last season where it's like oh max domi could play with patrick liney and jacob Voracek. maybe something could happen there he couldn't support them i'm not sure like patrick kane he could do well with anybody but if we're talking about what max domi is going to get out of this i don't know i'm not liking the odds i feel like naturally i think if kane and taves are there i think that's what chicago tries to do because uh, i don't know that taves can handle his own line either it's going to be a mess. It's going to, I hope it's at least an entertaining one. It's a good question to ask Elon. Like maybe Max Domi is your last pick of the draft. If you think like, remember Tyler Johnson was going late in drafts last year and everyone, he was like the hip last pick and that amounted to nothing. And I think the lesson to gather there is opportunity does not mean success. Even when that opportunity is looking really, really good, it doesn't mean success if the player is just not the caliber of player who's able to succeed. So that's why I am still very cool to Max Domi. But yeah, I'm going to keep an eye out on him and see who Patrick Kane is playing with. Because yes, whoever Patrick Kane is playing with, be interested in, but don't just be automatically interested in because it's not a guarantee that they're going to be putting up big points. Well, yeah, and also not a guarantee that it'll last, uh, like what happened with Tyler Johnson, though obviously it was injuries also. And then Athanasiu is also someone who, back in 2018-19, he had a 58-point pace. He had 54 points in 76 games with Detroit. And then since then, he like completely fell off. The last year in LA, unfortunately, was injured for most of the year. He's been injured actually a lot in his career recently. But uh, in the 28 games he did play, he had 17 points. So he is an offensive contributor. So I guess, I guess the same with Max Domi, right? Someone to watch I, in training camp. Like he could be playing on a line with Patrick Kane. He could be on the top power play potentially. So he's someone I'll be watching again. Like this is a last pick type thing because he could get injured. He could get swapped out even if he is in that spot. But I think like both Domi and Athanasiu guys who like on most teams, I would not even bring up on the podcast, but since it's on Chicago, I feel like we have to talk about them though. I guess maybe to be fair, let's maybe, should we talk about Lucas Reichel as someone who like is maybe the highest upside guy on the team? Like who's the net? Like Taves isn't even that good. Like even after Patrick Kane, do you draft anyone? Well, and I guess Seth Jones, like do you draft anyone from Chicago? I guess like uh, probably the answer is Reichel or Taves and like, I don't know. Are you going for either of these guys or is like it really just going to be Seth Jones, Patrick Kane, and then nobody else? That's it. Yeah. I'm not drafting anybody on Chicago. That's not Patrick Kane or Seth Jones. And I will put like, I'm glad you're bringing them up. We're doing our due diligence. Lucas Reichel, Jonathan Taze, Andreas Athanasiu, Max Domi, maybe even Tyler Johnson. All those guys you can watch, but at least, you know, almost I, I would say one of those might turn out to be fancy relevant and even then might still not be worth, you know, a, a late round draft pick. So go ahead and take your flyer, but I'm not expecting there to be a whole lot of fancy value on Chicago this season, which is not the hottest take. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 57 points in 56 games for Reichel with Rockford of the AHL last year. So he has a high pedigree. Let's see what he can do with like pro- uh, as much opportunity as he can handle, but not with the most amazing linemate. So if he's playing with Kane, that would be pretty good. Okay, so uh, let's end the show, Brian. I think we're, we're starting to dig deep here. If someone has a player that we haven't talked about that they think is worthwhile, or if we haven't talked about your team, then yeah, let us know. I'll, I'll, actually, I will do one more. Nashville sign Nino Niederreiter to a contract. Uh, so I think that's a player who the Canes fans liked. And unfortunately, you know, they're just, you know, not able to get everyone. And I feel like Nino was someone 
kind of like a Domi and uh, Athanasiu, right? Someone we used to love on the podcast. He had a breakout back also 2018-19. He had 23 goals that year, 53 points in 82 games. I guess he also had a 57-point season back in 2016-17 with Minnesota. But yeah, since Nino went to Carolina, there's been like stretches where he's been like super valuable, which was basically whenever he got on a line with like Ajo. But then he would fall off because he'd fall into the bottom six. Now he goes to Nashville and like... uh, Maybe there is room for Nino. Like, let's look at the Predators' depth charts here. Like, you've got, let's say, Forsberg, Duchesne, and Granlund. Let's say that's the top line, like it was for a lot of last year. Then you got Rijo. Uh, I think that Tomasino is probably going to be there. Like, he's there, like, really high-end prospect. I know, like, Ellie Tolvanen at one point was that person. But I don't know. I see Tolvanen as maybe, like, a third, fourth liner. And yeah, maybe we're looking at Rijo, Nino, and Tomasino. As like, I think there's definitely a path for Niederreiter to get second line deployment. Not sure about the power play. I mean, do you have any love left for Nino Niederreiter? I feel like you used to be a big fan of his. And then obviously he's kind of fallen off for all of us, but he's only 29 years old. He's getting 4 million a year for the next two years. If Nashville gives him a chance, which I'd imagine they will, since they just signed him to this contract, do you think he's someone that you would draft? Like, like let's compare him to uh, Marchment or Max Domi. Well, Niederreiter only produced from one place in Carolina in a fancy relevant way, and that was on the top line with Sebastian Ajo. And I just don't know if there's an opportunity for him to get on the top line with you know, whether it's Matt Duchesne or Mikael Granlund or Ryan Johansson centering, I'm not sure if that's where he fits into this depth chart. I would assume he lands more on the second line. And when he's on the second line, I'm not that interested in him, just as I w- just as was the case with Carolina. I think the one opportunity that Niederreiter can take advantage of is that top line deployment. And when he's not getting it, I'm not going to be that interested in him. So yeah, he's a nice, he can be a nice stream. I'll keep an eye on who he's playing with. But this is a guy who has shown over the course of his career that he can't really be the driver on his line. Like he needs somebody else to bring him along with him and he can take advantage of that, which is a skill, but it's not the skill I'm looking for when I'm building my fantasy team. So I I like the idea of a fresh start because you're right, Elon, I have always been into Nino Niederreiter since back in his, uh, his days as a New York Islander where incredibly Elon in 55 games as a rookie, he had one point. It was a goal. Uh, And he took 74 shots uh, in 10 minutes of ice time a night. So like maligned from the start in Long Island, moved to Minnesota, where I remember I was I was excited, more opportunity. He seemed to take small steps every year, but his game has really stagnated since that 16-17 season that he pays for 57 points you mentioned. Uh, Since then, he hasn't shot as much ever. He hasn't scored as much ever. He hasn't assisted as much ever. So uh, and that was like already what? six years ago, if I'm doing my my quick chronological math correctly. So that's why I'm not feeling any sense of like, oh, this is a big moment for Niederreiter to bust out. I'm going to watch, but I'm going to expect that he's pretty much the player he's shown himself to be over the last seven, eight years. Yeah, Brian, I actually didn't realize or forgot that Niederreiter was a fifth overall pick back in 2010. Yeah, from big the pedigree. And then like the Islanders didn't like him at all. They never wanted to play or use him. And it seemed uh, it seemed like he needed a fresh start. Unfortunately, yeah. it didn't. Uh, still didn't work out. So you know who they should have taken. So actually, it's fun. Okay, I'm looking through the draft now. So first of all, Minnesota took Mikael Granlund at ninth. Now they're going to be teammates once again. So that's kind of fun because Nino and Granlund were together in Minnesota. Now they'll be together in Nashville. 
Uh, obviously, Taylor Hall went first. Sagan went second. Good Branson, who we've brought up recently on the podcast. Incredible. Eating away at the cap for Columbus went third. Rijo went fourth, Brian. Wow. Another, this is like Columbus just piling Nash- up. <laughs> Nashville loves the 2010 draft. <laughs> Uh, but clearly, all of these teams, well, I guess Edmonton and Boston, you can't get too mad about Hall and Sagan. But uh, you go down the list, St. Louis got Vladimir Tarasenko at 16. So I think the Islanders, that's what you should have taken. This has to be one of the worst drafts. Like, the, I, like I'm looking down the list. It, I have to go down to 26 to see Kuznetsov taken there. Brock Nelson uh, taken 30th by the Islanders is like maybe a top five player from the <laughs> first round of this draft. It's not, uh, it's not pretty. Tyler Toffoli went in the second round. He's uh, a guy we're pretty excited about for next year. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brian Rust is there in round three. Ooh, let me see here. Anyone good in round four? Maybe like Eunice Donskoy is the best from round four. Still in NHL. Oh, Zach Hyman, round five. <laughs> this draft has like depth. John Actually, Klingberg, round five. Yeah. Oh, Brendan Gallagher, round five. Honestly, round five, like rivals round one. <laughs> it it might have been better. It might have been better. <laughs> Anyone else here? Mark Stone, round six. That's maybe one of the best players in the draft right now if we're redrafting. He's definitely going to go top five. Let's see, round Fre- seven. Freddie anybody? Anderson in the seventh round. Wow. There's there a go. good player in every round of this draft. And then, yeah. I anyway. mean, I think that's not abnormal. I think, not. I think the first round of this draft was abnormally weak. I see. Yeah, d- definitely. Okay. We've gone on long enough. This has been so fun, Brian. Thanks so much for uh, chatting with me for two plus hours for part one and part two or I should say part three and part four, and the final parts. We're now done talking about free agency. So our next podcast we do will be looking towards next year, kind of having the general framework. Obviously, there will be still more signings and trades. Akadri still not signed. Klingberg. I feel like there's another big name I'm missing. Well, Bergeron, though he'll probably go to the, the Bruins. Oh, by the way, Klatchen in the chat. I'm sorry, we didn't get to our Jack Studnika talk. Andy S., uh, is, is is his name on our Discord? Uh, so well, you know when, when the when we get to training camp, or actually we haven't done our beat writer interview with Fludo Shinzawa yet. So definitely we'll get some uh, Studnika talk in there once we talk to Fludo. Uh, but. Uh, I, I think we're good for today, Brian. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, check out our beat writer interviews that we dropped recently uh, about the Golden Knights and the Capitals. If you missed parts one and two, obviously check those out. We have another beat writer interview coming up uh, really soon with Low Tide about the Edmonton Oilers. So that'll be fun. And then we've got more. You know, we're going to start scheduling more. So yeah, our feed is going to be popping. So you just got to be subscribed on your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever, and you'll get everything. Uh, Obviously, we have our Patreon. We've mentioned it a couple of times. We have a lot of fun in our Discord. Uh, check that out, uh, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But okay, Brian, with that, let's cue the outro music. Why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Tom, Derek, David, Andrea, Rob, Flash, Patty, and Tyler. Be sure to check out GameDayTweets.com for all the latest fantasy news, and that'll show you the way to the three essential Twitter accounts that are basically all you need to follow to know all you need for fantasy hockey. Thanks to Shams and Elon for keeping that up. Logo art by BrandonWeeb.com. Outro music by Pat Roach. Oh, also thank you to Andrea and Joel for continuing to run the amazing patron rankings on Discord. By the way, we're mock drafting on Discord now. It's mock draft season. Elon, you've been in one at least. 
I'm in one right now. It's been my pick for the entirety of the show, so hopefully people aren't getting annoyed. Uh, but that's my excuse, and I think it's a decent one. I've had an uncharacteristically low draft timer. You'd be proud to know. But thank you uh, to our patrons for participating in that. If you want to get in on that, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Come mock with us. It's basically free. Uh, research with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber's Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Base, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks everyone who joined us for the live show. Really kept us on our toes and made it really fun. And yeah, thanks again for everyone listening. And Brian, I'll talk to you. We haven't decided yet what our next episode will be, aside from some beat writer interviews. But we'll come up with something fun, and we'll be back talking soon. Oh, we do have a patron cast though. Patron in cast a Tuesday. Yeah. Oh yeah, that'll be fun. Always. So yeah, sign up to be a patron, and or if you are a patron, clear your calendar and also throw your questions in the July Patron Cast Questions channel on Discord, and we'll get to all of your questions. That's always a lot of fun. After that, I don't know what the next main feed episode is for us. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be something good. We've had a request to talk about the schedule. I think that would be a lot of fun. Just dig into like which players have the best and worst schedules for next season. I think also we always around this time talk about like league design, and we could announce some of our rule changes that we're considering yeah. for like, couples. We're okay. So we're going to have a fun August. Uh, everyone, hope you do well over this rest of the summer. And we look forward to getting back in your ears soon for the next episode of Keeping Carlson. Until then, please keep doing all you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone. <laughs>